Hello, this is Anthony. Welcome to Be the Gospel. Um, we're going to be going over some amazing news about prayer. And I, I have Dorothy working on getting a link so I can share it on, on Facebook. <laughs> so if you go to the Blog Talk page, um, you'll be able to see that I have included some sermon notes so that you can follow along with where where I'm going so you can you can see exactly what I'm saying. And so I've I've even given you Greek words and, and different things. So I'm I'm planning on doing this on a regular basis so that you can follow along each week with the different sermon notes, okay? So this is week one and today we're gonna to be covering what is prayer. Now I, I know this sounds basic I know it sounds like everybody should know what prayer is and how to pray and everything else. And in truth, we only learn one side of prayer. And it's what's traditionally taught. And it's conversating with God. It's talking to God. And, and we, we consider that prayer, and that's, that's it. So what I'm going to be sharing with you today is to expand your view of prayer so you can see how Jesus was constantly praying without actually praying in the traditional sense. So let me explain myself um, as we go through this. Um, but you'll see some of our scriptural references. We're going to be going over James 5, 17 through 18. We're going to be going over First uh, Kings 17, 1 through 7, First Kings 18, 41 to 46. And it's going to bring us right back to, to Mark 11, 22 to 24. Okay. So let's, let's break down the word prayer. So the root word, uh, Greek word for prayer is euch, or something like that, E-U-C-H-E. And it's Strong's G-2171, which means a vow, right? So if we go to Acts 18.18, it's the exact same word that's translated prayer sometimes, right? It's also, you see in Acts 21.23, James 5.15, each of these sections, it's it's translated a vow, and it's sometimes translated a prayer, right? This is the same word that, that is translated a prayer sometimes. Then we have the verb form of it, which is Strong's G2172, which is Ichu um, Omri, uh, which likewise means a wish, a vow, or a will, and it's sometimes translated pray. And so we'll get to this. We'll, I'll explain it a little more, but let's continue on. It says, adding pros, which is Strong's G4314, to that, which just makes it directional. It means towards, right? So if we take that and we put pros in front of the chu, right? So it becomes pros and chu. That is always translated as prayer, Strong's G4335, in the verb form, pros chu ame, which is Strong's G4336. And I'm probably slaughtering these Greek words. Please forgive me. Um, I, I go and I listen to them on blueletterbible.org and <laughs> in China or, or net, .net, I forget what they changed it to, um, and try to get the pronunciations down so I don't slaughter them too bad when I jump on and share. So, pros, prosichu 
Omai, or however you say it, which is always, it's always translated as pray. So you have one always translated as prayer, and then the verb form always translated as pray. So pray or prayer in the New Testament, as it is usually used, is intrinsically a toward wish or a toward vow or a toward will. And with will, a lot of times I I put intent, right? Um, Because will can can mean a lot of different things in people's minds. But if, if you understand it as the intention of, right, toward intention, then it kind of brings some clarity. And so this section is actually an insert from an article that is way more in-depth and very theological. Um, and I included that link, so you can just click that web link, and it'll take you straight to it. And so let's go to James chapter 5, because I want to show you how prayer is so much different than what we've relegated it to. We've put prayer in a box. And so when you really see what prayer means and what it is, it kind of opens up so many different possibilities, right? So here in James chapter 5, verse 17 to 18, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So it seems simple enough, right? But, you know, being a, somebody just being a very diligent, right, and going back and, and studying this out, actually says in First Kings, and starting in 17, verse 1. And it says, and this is First Kings seventeen one. So now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in, in Gilead, Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay. So... Look what he's declaring. He says that he came to Ahab, to King Ahab, and he makes this declaration. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be no neither dew or nor rain these years except by my word. Notice he doesn't say by God's word. And then you look at the very next verse, verse 2, it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Sherith, which is east of Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook, and I will have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Sherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the book dried up because there was no rain in the land. So look at what happened. So if we go back to James five seventeen, it says that Elijah, man of like passions or like nature, right? He prayed fervently for it not to rain. Now, you can look all over First Kings before that, and there's no mention of Elijah until... First Kings seventeen one, 
And he shows up and he says, it's not going to rain until I say. Which is interesting. Okay? Because when you, when you pay attention to what he did is he made a vow. Right? He says, it's not going to rain anymore until I say so. So here he is declaring something's going to happen because he knows God. This should either excite you or scare you, okay? (laughs) Because you will find that people will make declarations or make a vow or make a wish, and it happens. I'll give you some examples a little later, but looking at Elijah, you can see he didn't pray. He declared something forth. He made a verbal vow out loud to King Ahab, and we know that it happened. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So some people say, well, it doesn't say that he didn't pray, that God didn't tell him. Yeah, but there's something about Scripture that when God, he he, he wants, like he, this sounds bad, but give credit for where credit is due, right? So when we look through scriptures, we can see passages. It says when God told Nathan, the prophet Nathan, or when God told the prophet Samuel to say this, it tells you it's written there in scripture. So you can see by precedent that each time a prophet went forth and made a declaration and it was um, warranted by God, then it would say God told them to say this. You can see this with Jeremiah. Right, You can see this with other prophets throughout the Old Testament. It's very clear. But in this example of Elijah, we don't have that. We just have him coming onto the scene and saying, this is what's going to happen. And so to say that, you know, well, he must have prayed, he must have been a man of prayer, that's basically arguing from a place of silence, meaning... Um, it's a it's, it's a fallible argument because it doesn't say that anywhere there, right? So now, is he a man of prayer? Yes, we can see through scripture that he was a man of prayer, but not the prayer that we traditionally think. So it's continuing, right? It says we can see when God did speak to Ahab is when he left the presence of Ahab. So let's break this down a little bit. Elijah made a vow. And, and, and because he spoke it, God backed it up because he was a man of God. He was a, a person that represented God. And we can find this in Second Kings 1, 10, and 12. So Elijah is, is sitting on a, on a mountain, and they sent 50 men to arrest Elijah. And he says, if I be a man of God... Then let fire fall down from heaven and consume consume this man who's trying to arrest me and the 50 people with him. And all of a sudden, fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And it happened two times. Third time, they sent a believer. They sent somebody who reverenced God and was like, hey, have mercy on me. I know what you're about to say, what you're about to do. And forgive me. I, I believe in the God of Israel, right? And so he stops him. But we can see 
by what he declared, again, he was saying, he says, if I be a man of God, and then all of a sudden it happened. So we can see he, he was clearly stating, I am a man of God. And because I am a man of God, the fire is going to fall from heaven and consume you. You see? So here again, Elijah is making a, a verbal vow, and then it happens. Now, you can argue if you think that's right or wrong or, or whatever you want. We don't know some of the situation or the intent of these people, other than the fact that they were sent by King Ahab to arrest Elijah. But he wouldn't go with anybody unless they were God-fearing, as we see on the third attempt. So that brings us to point number two. God backs up your words. We create our own realities by what we say because we believe it wholeheartedly. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So you naturally speak what you believe. And when you speak, it's because you believe it unless you're lying. So that, that brings the next two points it's bad news, but it's also good news, right? It's bad news because this proves that God answers all your prayers. However, when we speak so much negativity because we believe the negativity, it becomes our reality. It becomes our prison. It becomes our world. God still must honor our wish, our vow, intent, and we get the scripture in the New Testament says we it says we believe, therefore we speak. Which says I believe, therefore I speak. And then Paul goes, you know, therefore we believe, therefore we speak. Right? It says that you believe in your heart, then you confess with your mouth. See just because you say the right words, just because you quote scripture, just because you're trying to convince yourself to trust and believe in the word, doesn't mean you believe. But when you get pressed, when you get caught in a predicament, when you get caught in a situation where either you turn to God and you run to God, or you run to man, you run to the world, you run to um, you know, the, the hospital or the bank or, or whatever – the case may be you're running to them as your source, it reveals what's truly in your heart. And it's scary, right? Because as much as I'd like to say I'm 100% with God, I found myself in some situations where I realized I need to grow. I need to change my focus. I need to to, to really get and understand and, and dive into the Word of God. And let Him you know, bring this out of me by, by placing my trust, my hope, my all my attention on him, right? And so, you know, it's good news because we can change our reality simply by believing God and his word. When you truly believe God's word, then you speak and receive all that is stated. And this is where we're going to get to Mark 11, 23 to 24 and First John five fifteen would say that very thing. So, 
when we look at this, it's important that we begin to realize when you believe something and you speak it, because of the the spiritual law that's here, the spiritual principle, it becomes your reality. So what's happened in the church is that the church has kind of seen a glimpse of this biblical principle, and then they take it and they say, well, if I confess the right words, this will happen. No. When you believe God's word, when you believe his promises, and you speak them forth, then it happens. See, it's, it's very interesting when you look at Elijah in his life, there's, there's certain things that really stand out in my mind. There's certain things that should stand out for every believer. And that's that he was willing to put himself out there because he knew the character and, and, and the nature of God because he says, in whom I stand before. So he's saying, Look, if you go back and you understand that time period, he says, I stand before King So-and-so. I stand before this this empire or whatever. He's saying, I stand on before, but also on behalf of. So that's what an ambassador would naturally say during that time period. Right? So he's saying, I stand before God. And then he declares this vow it will not reign for three and a half years. So let's fast forward. Let's go look at First Kings 18. So you can see what happens. And for me, this was interesting. And this is verse 41. First Kings 18, verse 41. And it says, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a, there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the mount, the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. So the impression I get is that he, he kneels down on his knees, and then he sits basically on his feet, and he puts his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked, and there's nothing. And he said again, go again, seven times. And on the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up to say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In the... In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So there's several supernatural things that are happening here, and it's, it's beautiful, right? But I, what I want to point out is he declares to Ahab in verse 41, he declares Ahab, there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Now, was there a cloud in the sky? No, there wasn't. And that's why he went to the top of Mount Carmel. And it says he bowed himself to the earth 
putting his face between his knees. And the only things that he says that we know of that's recorded here in the Bible is that he, he told his servant to go check. And he went seven, he went at least seven times. And there was nothing except for on the, the seventh time. There was a small cloud. A little cloud is what it says. Like a man's hand rising from the sea. And then you can see the confidence of Elijah because he says, well, go tell him he better rush home before the rain stops him. So as I'm looking at this, several things stand out because it's just amazing. Right? So it doesn't say that he ever said, God, and he said a prayer. It then says he put his face between his knees. And so even though he made a vow that there's a sound of of rushing rain, right? He said, this is what's going to happen. He went and he just placed his his face between his – I don't know what he was thinking. It doesn't say what he was thinking. The only thing I can tell you is is what we can read and – and it says that he just kept his kept telling the servant, go check, right? So we can see his intent. We can see the will, prayer, right? Prayer was being made through his intent that rain that a cloud would form, not only just a cloud, but rain clouds. Because the first little cloud was not rain. Had no rain in it. It says that black clouds heavy with rain formed afterwards very quickly right but he had made several several declarations several vows before that and then it came to pass you see what i'm getting at because according to james chapter 5 17 and 18 says that he prayed again and then it would it rained But according to traditional prayer, we don't find it in First Kings seventeen. We don't find it in First Kings eighteen forty one through forty six. It's not there. And so it reminds me of my wife. She was telling me that she wanted a new mattress for for our bed. And I, for me, a mattress is a mattress. And like, you just lay down, you go to sleep, you get up, you you continue the day. I mean, you're not spending all day on the mattress. So, like, why do you, what's the importance of a mattress kind of mentality, right? And I know it can affect how you sleep and, and all these other things and uh, your posture and back pain and, and other things. Um, and so it was just funny because less than a week, I get a call. And she's just telling me in passing. She's not saying, well, I'm asking God for this. I'm praying to God for this. Because I, I told her, I was like, if you want that, I'm not going to pray for it or anything like that. You you believe God for it. And she's like, no, oh, okay. And kind of dismissed it, right? So several days later, I get a call from a friend. And he goes, um, God told me to buy you a mattress. What size do you need? week or so later, mattress arrives in the mail and was at the house. 
Did she pray? Traditionally? No, she didn't. She made a wish. A wish known before God. My mother-in-law, same way. She'll be like, God, I want flowers. Right? Or she wouldn't even say that. She was like, it would, nice to have, it would be nice to have flowers today. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up with flowers. Oh, I feel like going and eating at this restaurant. All of a sudden, somebody takes her out to go eat at the restaurant. And so she has all these testimonies of God's goodness. And it's just very interesting how we have confined prayer to just be communication with God. But God knows your thoughts. He hears how you trust him. He knows how you trust him. He knows the depth of it. He knows the belief, right? And so he hears you as you're speaking, and he gives you the desires of your heart. Right? And so with Elijah, I, I had to ask myself, how or why did Elijah know this would happen? Where was his confidence? Or who was his trust in? Even when he went to Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and he chopped them to pieces, he's making fun of them the entire time. Maybe he's in a restroom. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he's in a different room. Uh, you're louder. He can't hear you. right? And he's saying all this, mocking them the entire time. And then when it's his turn, he barely says something, and fire comes from heaven and consumes the altar. And it says, and it took, it licked up all the water, all the moisture was gone. But he had this confidence that he knew going into the situation what the outcome was going to be. And it's interesting. So it goes to show that he knew God. He knew his character. He knew his nature. And he wholeheartedly surrendered to God himself. He didn't hold back. He fully stepped into it. And we also see points of weakness, right? He, he runs scared. Of, of Jezebel. And God had to catch him. And say, look, you're not the only prophet. I, I've saved lots of prophets. So it's very interesting. As you look at this, and, and this is why I challenge you, go look up every instance of Elijah. Look at when he prayed because there's times when he prayed traditionally. He, he talked to God, right? And then there's times when he declared something, or he made a vow, or he made a wish, or he made his will, you know, um, towards something, or his intent towards something. And we can see this very clearly. And then look up Elisha, and you see the exact same thing. And then look at Jesus. So when he spoke, he said, be healed. Take up your bed and walk. Or he says, as your, you know, um, be unto you as your faith. Your sins are forgiven. So he's making these declarations 
toward God, toward situations, right? Because when you pray to God, you're you're, you're making a vow, a wish, or or your your will or intent known to God. See, this is the thing. This is why it's important that we don't try to deceive God. You, you can't. He sees your heart. He knows your heart. So why not just be completely honest? If you're frustrated, say, God, I am frustrated. Help me here. That's why, like, honestly, I joke around with God, have jokes, and he knows I'm serious at different times, and he'll show me something. I'm like, God, I don't understand it. Because he'll show me something, and I ask a question, and he's like, no, 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 you're missing it. And then he can repeat himself. And then, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, but what about this? He's like, no, no, you're missing it. And he repeats himself. And I'm like, okay, God, please, draw this in crayon. Dumb it down for me to understand, please. And he does it with gentleness and love. And I take this principle, and I'm like, Wow. This is who God is. This is communication with God. This is, you know, a vow, wish, intent towards God. So as I'm declaring, I'm honest that I'm not pretending that I know what he's saying. I'm just being honest and vulnerable with him saying, I have no idea what you're saying. Your thoughts are, are above what I can comprehend. Or I'm not thinking in the same direction as you. And so it's the same thing when we're looking at God or, excuse me, if we're looking at a situation, we know God. And we can speak something forth because we fully rely on, adhere to, trust in God. We trust in his word. We trust in his promises. And as a result of trusting in his promises and believing his word and, and fully relying on it, and, and knowing his nature and his character. And before a situation, we can say, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen anymore. Or be healed. Or finances come, and then they come. Or, you know, whatever the situation may be, depression, go. Spirit of suicide, you leave. Right? Whatever the case may be, you have the full assurance that what you're speaking forth is going to happen because you know the one who you rely upon. So it's unlocking a biblical principle. Because this topic on prayer really shows that we can get what we stand on and believe toward negativity or toward positive. I mean, we can look at Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to edifying or edification, which ministers grace unto its hearers. Or, how about let's go back to James. Don't let salt water and fresh water flow from the same fountain. The same spring. No, it shouldn't be that way. So when you look at God, you have to see principles that he, he, he's placed here so you can understand how to function and operate in it because you can change your reality. And I did this. I did a little experiment myself, and I, there was something that I consider very tough, is, is uh, very hard. 
And I, I went and I tried it. And it was tough and hard, right? Some people, it might be math. It might be, you know, something else. Um, I just decided, you know what? In this situation, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it's easy, it's simple. And then as I, as I applied myself to it, and even when I found myself trying to get frustrated, I said, no, this is easy, this is simple. I just need to think about this a different way. And I would take a breather. I would think about it a different way and go back at it. Boom. It became simpler and easier and simpler and easier because I was telling myself that and I was resolving in myself that that's what it was. And guess what happened? It became simple and easy. And then there was something that was very easy for me. And I said, well, I'm going to tell, me, tell myself that it's hard and tough. So I just told myself, damn, this is so hard. This is so tough. This is so hard. So tough. Guess what happened? It became hard and tough. I had a hard time. And I realized, wow, I'm creating my own reality by what I truly believe. And it's either towards God or it's not. It's towards his word, it's towards his promises or it's not. And so as I'm looking at this, I'm just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So I basically learned these four simple things. And number one is believe. Believe is simply just trusting God, trusting his word, and being fully in agreement with him. When situations arise, you choose to stand with God's character and nature by trusting his word. Remember, you can't trust someone's word without the character and nature to back it up. Because if they're a liar and they make you a promise, you know... But they're a liar, and they're not going to keep promise. But God is not a liar. So you know, if he says something, and Scripture is clear, he watches over his word to perform it, he's looking forward to the opportunity to perform it, that he's a promise keeper, he keeps his promises to a thousand generations, then you begin to realize, oh my gosh, like this is a no-brainer. I should place my trust in him because he is faithful, even when, if my heart condemns me, is what Scripture says, he is faithful. And so when we look at this, I'm telling you, it becomes very simple, very easy. So through humility, you decide within yourself, I surrender to your promise. I surrender to you. And then you find that most believers, most Christians, have a hard time receiving. So number two is receive. Trust that it's been done. Rest in the work of Jesus. It is finished. Let go of everything else. Have in your hands and receive what God has for you. There was a lady. She had been hurt. She had been through several divorces. Um, she, she hated men. I mean, there was all this stuff going on in her life. And this pastor goes to her. And she's explaining to the pastor why she doesn't need to love, she's unlovable, and all these issues. And he just listened to her very patiently, very kindly, didn't say a word. And she's going on and on and on and on and on, venting, 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 right? 
And then he said, okay, I said, are you? And she said, yes, I'm done. He goes, okay, now it's my turn. And he took her to the kitchen. He's like, what are, what are we doing in the kitchen of her house, right? And he, and he starts opening the cupboards. And he grabs these pots out of the cupboards, and he, he puts it in her hand. He says, here's your unforgiveness. Here's, here's your bitterness. Here's your hard-heartedness. Here's, and he's naming all these pots, and he's just filling her hands to where she can barely hold on to them because he basically put all the dishes in her kitchen into her arms, and she's trying everything she can to hold on to all this stuff. And then he stood back from her, and he pulled out $100, and he held it out, and he says, it's yours if you can grab it. So very quickly, without thinking, she dropped everything that was in her hands, stepped forward, and grabbed the $100. And he said, look, how easy was it to receive when your hands are empty, when your heart is empty? So a lot of times, we get so focused on trying to do something to earn God's healing or earn God's favor for blessing or or to earn all this stuff from God. And God just wants our hearts empty and pure towards him. And it's the easiest way to receive. And it leads me to number three. Act upon, already have it, no matter what the circumstances say or show. And we can see this with Elijah. He says, it sounds like rushing rain. Go tell Ahab, even though it's a small cloud, not a rain cloud, small cloud, go tell Ahab, you better rush home or else the rain's going to stop them. Was that the situation? No, it wasn't the current situation. But what did he do? He declared it. He spoke it out in trusting God. And as a result, the opponent, right? He acted upon it. And so, it reminds me of Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland. He used to work for another major. Uh, he used to work for a healing ministry. He was he actually was hired on as a pilot first, and that's who basically got him involved in ministry. He had a heart for ministry, uh, but when he started traveling, I believe it was Oral Roberts. He started traveling with Oral Roberts. Then it really began to blossom and open up and and everything. So he goes with Oral Roberts and he flies. And this is his story, and I was looking for it online. And I, and I couldn't get um, with the in time to present it to you. But he basically says that this one time he goes in, he flies into the city, and Oral Roberts tells him, the pilot, okay, you're coming with us. Okay, like he was excited. He was a little nervous, but he was excited. So he goes with them, finds out that basically – That he's put in charge of prepping the people to receive prayer. And he's like, uh, how do I prep people to receive prayer? 
somebody came along. I can't remember if it was Or Roberts himself or or who it was, but basically said, "Okay, it's just the brother Or is about to come to you. So all you're gonna do is receive. Don't don't think about anything. Don't pray. Don't do anything. Just receive, and then act upon it. So after he's prayed for you, if you couldn't move your finger, then focus on." Moving your finger, whatever whatever the case may be, you know. And he was telling somebody's prayer life. He goes, "If you if all you can do is wiggle your toe, keep wiggling that toe. Keep wiggling that toe until you can move the other toes, and then keep wiggling those toes until you can move the foot, and so on." Right? And the person came, you know, as Oral Roberts came by and he laid hands on him and prayed for him. He witnessed as a person did this. And was completely healed because they were acting upon one small victory of being able to do something very minor that it led to them being able to to walk again. Some some something very small as moving a toe or moving a finger that led to them being able to trust God and see. Their entire healing And then number four Is gratefulness Just thanking God Out of a pure heart As I was saying A pure heart Which means Completely towards him And don't do things half-heartedly God knows God knows if you're being cynical He knows if you're having an attitude well, I have to thank you because they said I have to thank you. So this is me giving you thanks. Really? You think you're going to fool God with that? God knows when we are sincere. The only person we should be, the only person we would be deceiving is ourselves. When you go to God, he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He, he created you. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. In fact, you'll find that we will lie to ourselves because we don't want to go to certain places because it's a touchy subject. But God, you can't do that with God. He sees it all and he still loves you. He still loves us. He still cares for us. He still shows, shows mercy towards us. So why not just be vulnerable? Why, why not just be honest? So maybe you're going through something right now, and it's hard to focus on something to be grateful for because of everything that's shouting at you and you're going through. Focus on something small. Maybe you still have both your legs. So when you get up in the morning, you just thank God for both legs, that you have your limbs, that you have your legs, that you have energy to stand. And you just start thanking God sincerely and say, God, I thank you. I thank you that I can move my legs. I thank you that I have two arms. I have two hands. I have, I have all ten fingers. I have all ten toes. Father, I thank you. And you continue on. Thank him for what you have. Thank him for what he's entrusted to you. God, I might not have much, but what I have is blessed because you gave it to me. You entrusted this to me. So I thank you. I thank you that you're my provider, that you provided this little bit. And because you provided a little bit, I know you can provide so much more. 
Because your word says that you can do abundantly above all I can ask or think, and I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. Right? So you see, you just take something small, and you start just being grateful before God. God, I thank you. Because the world has ingrained in you and taught you from your birth. Focus on the negative. Rehearse the negative. Just play it over in your mind. Just negativity, negativity, negativity. And then that's all you see. You become blinded to truth because you're focusing on the facts of the situation that you're currently in. But truth trumps facts. Truth determines your reality if you focus on it. So all hell can be breaking loose. And you hold on to God's promise you'll see how everything comes perfectly in line and his promises fulfilled in your life. I'm telling you, this is, it's very simple. Jesus made this very simple. God made this extremely simple. If you're willing to walk with him, if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to wholeheartedly throw yourself before God and say, God, I'm completely yours. I surrender. I surrender to your promises. I surrender to your nature. I surrender to your character. I surrender to you. You are king. You are my king. And I love you and I adore you. And you just continue on. But be honest. Because you find that as you believe... As you, as you set yourself, you're resolving yourself to agree with God's word because his word is absolute truth. When you find yourself in situations where you're pressed or being squeezed or going through and you hold on to his word, what are you doing? You're placing your focus back on him. You're placing your focus on Jesus. You're placing your focus on the person of God, not some wishful thinking that the world tries to convince you that it is, that the realist who always end up in fear and doubt and, and, and failure want to bring you into their, their realm by not believing God. That you focus on God, you focus on him, and you become the exception to them because you begin to prosper. You begin to be blessed. You begin to smile even through torment, even through trials, even through through pain, you're smiling. Why? Because you know the outcome. You know what the situation is going to bring because you know that you trust in God, that you trust in his word, that you fully believe in what he says and that he is faithful and able to do what he promised. And you see that this becomes your reality in every moment, in every time, in every situation. That you never back down, you never back up because you know who God is. And you run into his arms because you know that he is a good father. And any promise he's made you, he's able to fulfill. And he desires to fulfill. And he does fulfill. As we trust him. So let's look at Last scripture I have for you. Mark 11 through to 24. And we're going to focus on verse 24. Uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to what I've taught on faith um, from Mark 11:22, that it says the faith of God 
not faith in God, but faith of God. Um, it's genitive form. And and I broke that down for you. But I want you to look at verse 24 here in Mark 11. It says, therefore I tell you, whatever, whatever means anything. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whatever. If you need a house, you need a car, you need healing, you need deliverance, whatever the case may be, because you trust in God, because you believe his word, because you, you, you know his nature, you know his character, that you know that you can speak to him, just like my wife did. She, she made a vow, a wish. Her will know, I would like a new mattress. And God answered. God, I need a place to live. God, I need a new car. Or the opposite. God, I thank you for my car. Immediately stepping and engaging that you believe God for something that seems impossible. God, I thank you that even though the situation concerning this person is very bad, I thank you that you're turning the whole situation around and they're coming to know you. Right? Declaring God's word in the situation. This is what he wants you to do. He wants you to, to trust. He wants you to focus on him. It says that it's impossible to please him because you have to believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And everything comes back to trust, believing, loving, knowing God. See, things aren't hard. We make things hard. We make things complicated because we, we try to filter everything through our experiences and our situations. And, well, you don't know the situation. And if you knew the situation, then God would not take care of this person. He wouldn't heal this person. He wouldn't deliver this person. It's like, no, 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 no. Then, then he never would have done any of those things for me. And because he did them for me, he'll do them for all people because he's not a respecter of people. He's not a respecter of persons. So what he does for one, he does for all. This is why I love hearing testimonies of God for vision, of healing, of deliverance, of the supernatural. Because I'm like, God, you did it for that person. You did it through that person. I know you can do it through me. And then, boom, it happens. Is this a simple? This is the principle. It's a vow, wish, or, or a will, or intent. In a situation, you decide. You have to decide. What are you going to step into? What are you going to walk out? Are you going to agree with God? Are you going to stand before God? Represent him as his ambassador to the mountain? Tell it to move? 
not doubting in your heart? Because you're doubting, you're being tossed like a like a wave, like a ship in the in the sea on the waves. So anybody who doubts that they they should they should understand that they shouldn't ask anything from God because they don't truly trust Him. That's James chapter one. It's like what F. F. Bosworth says: Never doubt God. If you must doubt something, doubt your doubts. Believe God. Trust Him. Walk with Him. So much He has for you. So much He wants to show you through true biblical prayer. So again, I challenge you. Go back. Look up Elijah. Look at when he made a vow and then boom, it happened. Look up when Elisha did the exact same thing. Look at the people they raised from the dead. Look up, you know, all these different situations. Then go to Jesus. I'm telling you, read through First Kings, Second Kings very slowly. You come to Jesus, and then you begin to see the pattern. You begin to see him doing the exact same thing because he understands true prayer. And it's because you're before him, you take on his image. You look exactly like him. He purifies. He burns off the dross, as it says in Malachi 3. So he can see himself clearly in you. That's why it says he sits as a silver goldsmith. Because they can know that the, the gold or the silver is in its purest form when you can see your reflection in the metal. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. It's really good stuff. But I challenge you, step into this. Dare to pray the way Jesus did. Dare to pray the way Elijah and Elisha did. Because every man of like passion, if you don't want to compare yourself to Jesus, at least you can say Elijah was a man of like passion. He was a man of like nature. Look what he accomplished. By trusting God, believing God, standing and defending God, standing in the gap to say, this is, this is who I represent, and this is who I trust in, so I believe in, and I stand for righteousness, I stand for justice. It's very simple. Well, it looks like we ran out of time. Uh, do you have anything to add, Dorothy? Uh, no, I totally get what your wife does because I do that with, with Father. Sometimes I'll see something and I'll say, oh, Father, I'd like to have one of those. And I do eventually get it. But also when you were talking about calling fire down, I was reminded of, um, was it when Jesus was being arrested in the garden that some of the disciples asked if they if he wanted them to call fire down from heaven? And they said it like yeah, it was actually, something that was like natural, you know, that, oh, yes, we can call fire yeah. down from heaven. <laughs> but um, it was actually several cities that had rejected Jesus. And when you actually see 
the homily of the Gospels, you see, Jesus rebukes them for, for saying that. He goes, you don't know the nature, or, like, you don't know who you are. So right. these people were in a, a different situation. The disciples are in a different situation. Jesus was actually showing mercy. But, yeah, it was very um, natural for them to say, well, we'll just call fire down. Yeah. Because they knew it would it would happen. And Jesus stopped them. Because he knew it would happen. Is there anything else that stood out? That's it. Other than... All right. Let me see if I can figure this out. I'll say this. Um... How do we get ourselves to the point where we believe? Is it just by studying the word? Um, you know, just feeding on yeah. the word and his promises? There's there's a lot of Bible scholars that that's all they do is study the word, right? And it doesn't mm-hmm. allow them to step into trusting the word. So this is something that I was talking with God about because – I'm going to be doing an internship in Brazil and also in Canada very soon. And the one thing that I've been talking with God about is getting someone to trust God from a place of no trust in God. So imagine fully surrendering, stepping into the fullness of God in an instant. How do you get somebody from point A to point B that quickly? And I was asking God this. And his answer to me was amazing because it's already in Scripture. It's already there. It's, it's already what he was, he was doing through discipleship. It's knowing the promise of God, knowing his word, knowing his character, his nature, and then doing the word. This builds trust the fastest. So a great example is laying hands on the sick, right? And they recover. What does that require? That requires that you have to step out of your your comfort zone, go out, lay hands on the sick, and you see them recover, right? So some people say, well, I'm sick myself, and you want me to go lay hands on other people? Yeah. Because what is it doing? It's reinforcing in you to put your trust and place your trust in God and on your situation and circumstances. And there's many people that have gone out and ministered with us who had issues, and as they're going and they're laying hands on the sick and they're praying for other people, they get healed themselves. And they don't remember or know when it happened because they were so focused on other people. They were doing the word of God. So it inherently builds the trust in you toward God that it happens. So by doing his word, being in a situation where you begin to do his word, it naturally happens. So it's not just about knowing his word. It's also about doing his word. That's why James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. 
that makes sense. Has recovered the last couple of times. Right, because when you begin to do his word, you're you're placing your trust in his word. And it's something practical. It's something that you can do. You can you can feed the hungry. You can take care of the widows and orphans, right? You can give to the homeless or, or care for the homeless. You can evangelize. You can do all these things we've been told to do and do it with the motive of love. And it's in doing his word that his word becomes real. It, it, it becomes self-perpetuating where you can't help but trust him for more and more and more and more. And so in my own journey with God, my venture with God, started out just believing him to pray for, you know, headaches and, and random little ailments. And pretty soon I started trusting him to pray for people that were dying in hospitals. And we found out that they were healed. And then we was like, and then we're being called to other parts of the state and other parts of the country to pray for them, pray over Skype, pray over Facebook. And we're seeing people healed and delivered and set free. And it just kept growing and growing from there. It was like, well, God, if you did it for this, then you would definitely do it for this. To where, you know, recently being in Brazil, God says, okay, now I don't want you to lay hands. Now I want you to proclaim healing over them. Well, God, if you didn't, why are you laying on the hands? You want me to declare healing over them? And of course, healing is going to happen. And all of a sudden, in one service, we just declared healing. And I declared healing again, and everyone was completely healed. And you see, it's, it's simple. It's trusting him and growing from trust to trust growing deeper in our conviction and our trust in him. And that's what happens. So it's all about just growing in trust. And that comes by doing his word. Well, that makes sense. Father is so logical. He is. It's very practical. A lot of times we we overlook it because we think it's all supernaturally spiritual and way up there and kind of mystical and don't know how to to handle it or get there or, or anything, right? But it's the fact that we don't understand ourselves. But he does. It's like if, for instance, pursuing a dream. If I tell you, you can do it. Dorothy, if you have, if you had a dream, to knit. You always built how your 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 grandmother knitted and you, you always wanted to learn, but you, you think now, you know, it's too late to learn. And and you just decide, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna do it. And then you, you, you start doing it and you get frustrated and you quit. But I used to say I come along and say, No, you can do it. Just do it. It's it's simple, it's easy. Right? And then in your mind, you start thinking, Yeah, it is simple, it is easy. My grandma used to do it. And I know if I keep on doing it, it'll, I can do it without even thinking, right? And then that becomes reality. You begin doing it without even thinking. And then you learn to knit very quickly, right? By doing, not by thinking, not by even watching videos, right? 
is by practically doing it yourself over and over and over and over. And then you don't even have to think about it anymore. It just becomes second nature. So we do that with skills and and things that, you know, you, you do for work or whatever. And the same thing works with being obedient to God's word. Trusting in his word. So next week, we're going to start breaking down um, prayer a little more. And so we talked about what prayer is. And so what we're going to be diving into is activating prayer to pray fervent prayers and what that means. Because here we find Elijah, First Kings 17, where he came before Ahab and he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And that was considered fervent prayer. So we're going to talk about how to unlock that in your life so you can begin to walk in this confidence and see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen? Well, let me pray and we'll wrap up. And uh, I hope this has blessed you. I hope this has, this helped you in some ways. I hope it's, it's taken off the blinders of of just believing in prayer in the traditional sense. And it's much wider. It's much bigger than I was expecting when I started going over this and and seeing the goodness of God. Okay, so look forward to chatting with you next week and and uncovering this principle in a little more detail and activating it in your life. So let me pray. So Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for every deliverance, for every healing, for every miracle, for every provision in people's lives now. I thank you that you set the captives free, that you heal the brokenhearted. You don't just bind up the brokenhearted, you heal the brokenhearted. And I thank you right now, in Jesus' name, that everybody in the sound of my voice is completely free, completely healed, and is stepping into your truth and praying and getting everything they pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm looking next, looking forward to part two. Fervently. That doesn't mean just all emotionally, I'm sure. Nope. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I just have this feeling. (laughs) You know, it bothers me when people holler at God, you know. Have you ever been at a conference where they're just standing there hollering at God? And I said, not hard of hearing. Yes, thank you so much, Anthony. That was enlightening. And uh, we'll see you the next time. And thank you, everyone, for coming. And Father, bless you. Good night, everybody. Good night. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.